First off, I want to thank Dingo Dan, as he's known in our household, for letting me have this opportunity, and thank you to the leaders of the church for allowing me to come before you and preach this morning. I approach the pulpit with fear and trembling that I might faithfully proclaim the word of the Lord to his people, but I also approach it with joy because it's a joy to proclaim the word of the Lord any chance I get, and so I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I thank the church leaders for entrusting me with this moment. But before we dive into the word, will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, may we, your people, hear your word today and celebrate it as we strive to live the life you alone have given us. Amen. This morning, our main scripture is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 21, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul is writing to his co-workers and his close friend in the faith, Timothy, encouraging Timothy in Timothy's own ministry. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 21, Paul writes, As for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which will be displayed at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they might take hold of that which is truly life. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. During the Vietnam conflict, it was hard for U.S. soldiers to identify who the Viet Cong soldiers were. The Viet Cong soldiers wore clothes that were similar to everyone else's. So the enemy could be a soldier or just a farmer. A farmer could be an enemy. The enemy could be any man, woman, or child. Or any man, woman, or child could be a South Vietnamese ally. In the book, 1984, there are three superpowers, Oceania, Eurasia, and East Asia. And Oceania is at war with Eurasia. Oceania has always been at war with Eurasia. At least, that's what the history books say. But the protagonist, Winston Smith, remembers that just five years ago, Oceania was at war with East Asia. And then at a rally, the people of Oceania denounced their enemy. And in the middle of that rally, 
the alliance switches again, and once again Oceania is at war with East Asia. The speaker seamlessly changes the name of the enemy right in the middle of a sentence, and all the people who come to the rally are now embarrassed that they have written the wrong name on their banners and signs. And the new stance of the government is Oceania has always been at war with East Asia. Within a week, the history books are changed, and there would be no record that Oceania was ever at war with Eurasia. No one was supposed to remember who the enemy actually was. No one was supposed to remember which side they were on. It's important for us as believers to know who the enemy is. It's important for us to remember which side we are on. And in today's passage, that's what Paul is telling to Timothy. There's a battle going on. Don't forget what side you are on. There's a battle going on. Don't forget what side you're on. That's why Paul starts off with flee these things on the one hand and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness on the other. But before we dive in, the question starts, well, flee these things. Well, what things are we supposed to flee? Well, to find that out, we have to go backwards in our passage, back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. Here Paul says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ in the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But for those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So we are supposed to flee the things that cause us to wander away from the faith. We flee things that make us fall into a pit of temptation that lead to ruin and destruction that can pierce us with many pains. Things like false doctrine, things like a craving for controversies, things like the love of money. We flee the things of sin and death. But then we pursue a list of virtues. These virtues that Paul has listed Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness are kingdom virtues, virtues that belong to our God. These are virtues that those that answer the summons to join in God's army must have in order to be ready for service. They are virtues that help us fight. And so Paul calls us, fight the good fight of the faith the noble fight, the beautiful fight of faith, of enduring in our faith. And take hold of eternal life. Take hold of what God has freely given us in Christ Jesus and make it our own. 
on the one side, sin, death, ruin, and destruction. On the other side, eternal life. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, Moses tells the people, See, I have set before you life and good, death and evil. Life and good found in obedience, death and evil found in disobedience. And Moses explains the simple solution in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Choose life. This morning, maybe you have not chosen life. Maybe you have not decided which side you're on. You have not decided to side with God, to flee from sin and death. And to you, I proclaim the good news this morning. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, through whom all things were made for us and for our salvation, came down from heaven and became a man. For our sake, he was crucified. He suffered death. He was buried and he rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. I proclaim to you the gospel. Christ has died. Christ has risen and Christ will come again. If you have not chosen life today, I encourage you, I beg you, I plead with you now, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive eternal life. But perhaps this morning, you're more like Timothy. Timothy had already made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He made the good confession, the noble confession, the beautiful confession, perhaps similar to what Peter confessed to Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Perhaps he made that confession at his baptism, but Timothy had already made that confession. And to people like Timothy, Paul is saying, don't forget what side you're on. Now, historically speaking, a war is coming to Israel at the time that Paul is writing to Timothy. A war is coming to Judea, coming to Jerusalem. And in a few short years, the temple will be utterly destroyed. The battle that Paul is talking about, though, is not that physical battle, but a spiritual one. He is telling Timothy, keep your spiritual life in order. Be ready for the fight. And Paul gives three reminders as to why God's side, why Jesus' side, why the side of life is the right side. First, Paul tells us that God's side is the side that lasts. God's side is the side that lasts. Paul has just told Timothy, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. And then in our passage for today, he says to charge the rich not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. The side of sin and death is uncertain. The stock market can crash and cost you all your money and your retirement. A teenage driver can run a stop sign and wreck your brand new car. But Paul reminds Timothy of who God is. God is the one who gives life to all things. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone has immortality. And he alone is worthy of our worship and our praise. And to him alone belong honor and eternal dominion. Immortality. Eternal dominion. 
God's side is the one that lasts forever and ever and ever. Eternity is hard to fathom, hard to comprehend, but it should make all the difference for how we view our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 16, says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, in the context, these verses are saying, do people make fun of you, persecute you for being a Christian? It's okay. It's only a moment. Eternity is waiting for you. Paradise with God waits for you. So don't lose heart. Endure in your faith. Eternity is coming. And in case there were any questions for those who believe, who love Jesus, eternity is going to be good. And maybe you are facing persecution these days. Maybe you're a student in high school or college, and it's hard to be a Christian, hard to make that good confession. Maybe you're a teacher, and the system is getting harder and harder to work in. It's getting harder and harder to resist. Maybe you work in another secular job, and all your coworkers curse up a storm each and every day and make fun of churches and of Christians. And if that's the case for you, then that message applies to you as well. Eternity is waiting for you. Don't lose heart. Endure in your faith. Eternity is coming. And eternity is going to be good. But I think it's also okay to expand the context of this passage just a little bit. Maybe it's something else that you're going through that's a little bit difficult. Grieving the loss of a loved one, the death of someone special in your life, in the life of this congregation. Maybe you're struggling with that today. May eternity be your comfort. Don't lose heart. Endure in the faith. Eternity is coming, and eternity is going to be good. Maybe you're single and you ache to be married, or maybe you're married and you ache for a child and you're oh so tired of people giving empty platitudes, well-meaning comments that just twist the knife a little bit deeper. Don't lose heart. Endure in your faith. Eternity is coming, and eternity is going to be good. Are you facing cancer or other sickness and it seems insurmountable? It's okay. Don't lose heart. Endure in your faith. Eternity is coming and eternity is going to be good. Are you stuck in a dead-end job with no clear exit in sight? It's okay. Don't lose heart. Endure in your faith. Eternity is coming, and eternity is going to be good. You might not know the name Horatio Spafford. Maybe you do. But he had a very traumatic life. His four-year-old son died in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, And because of the fire, he was also ruined financially. Two years later, when the economy collapsed, he was even worse off. He had planned to travel to England, but instead he sent his family on ahead while he stayed behind to work on some business. But then the ship that his family was on collided with another ship and sank, killing all four of his daughters. His wife, Anna, sent him a telegram that began, Saved Alone. When Spafford finally got on a ship to meet his grieving wife, his ship passed by 
the spot where his daughters had died. And he started to write, and he wrote these words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Why in the world would he write words like that in the middle of a Job-like tragedy? Well, the second verse tells us, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And he concludes, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds rolled back as a scroll. The trumps shall resound, the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. We can say it is well with our soul because Christ has saved us. We can say it is well with our soul because we know that eternity awaits, that Christ is going to come back and make everything right once again. We can say it is well. We cannot lose heart. We can endure in our faith because we know eternity is coming and eternity is going to be good. To quote from another song, every stone that makes you stumble and cuts you when you fall, every serpent that strikes your heel to curse you when you crawl, the king of love one day will crush them all. Eternity is what lasts. This world we all know is broken and not as it should be. This world that is full of sin and heartache is not going to last. This world is not going to be forever. And here's the good news. If we have accepted Jesus Christ, if we have proclaimed him as Lord and Savior, if we have committed our lives to obedience to him, then Philippians 3.20 applies to us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news for those who believe is this. You don't belong here. You belong, and you are citizens of another realm, of an eternal realm. We belong to eternity, and eternity is going to last. And eternity for those who love Jesus Christ is going to be good. But not only is God's side the side that lasts, the second reminder that Paul gives is that the side of life, the side of eternity, matters now. Paul is saying God's side is the eternal one. God's side is the one that lasts forever. So flee from sin, flee from death, pursue righteousness, fight the good fight, take hold of eternal life, and keep the unstained and free from reproach commandment in the here and the now. And what does that look like? Well, Paul commands Timothy about the rich there to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He tells the rich, do good and be generous now. Be generous now because it's treasure for the future. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we do now, how we live now, has eternal consequences. What we do now transforms our eternal future. Not that we can good work our way into heaven, 
but that we can live for heaven now. We can act like citizens of heaven now. When we serve those around us, we are giving them a glimpse of heaven now. And so Paul tells Timothy that those who are rich in this world should be generous. They should store up treasure in heaven, and in so doing, give others a glimpse of heaven. And if you look at history, there was a time when people with money built schools and universities, built hospitals and churches. There was a time when people with money became patrons of the arts. And if you're here in this room today, you're one of the richest people in the world. We have a roof over our head. We have indoor plumbing. We have air conditioning. You are rich. These verses apply to you. These verses apply to us. But most of us might not feel very rich. Most of us can't start a brand new university or fund a hospital. But the principle still stands. Do good now. Be generous now. Store up treasure in heaven now. Do good now. Be generous now. Give others a glimpse of heaven now. Maybe you're a high schooler struggling to be a Christian in school, but you notice the quiet kid sitting alone in the commons during lunch, and you choose to sit with him so he won't be lonely. Granting someone a bit of community is giving someone a glimpse of heaven. Maybe you're good with your hands, and you can build that handicap ramp for the person in town who really needs it. That's a glimpse of heaven. Maybe you know someone in financial need and can anonymously meet that need. That is a glimpse of heaven. Maybe you've faced cancer yourself and you find out a neighbor is going through it right now. You can walk alongside of them, offering them encouragement. That is a glimpse of heaven. The good news, as C.S. Lewis explains it, is that heaven works backwards. It can turn our worst sorrows, our deepest pains now, into joy. We can glimpse heaven now. And eternity matters now, and it can make a difference now. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that your life will be easy. I'm not saying that it will be smooth or simple. John 16, says, In this world, you'll have tribulation. You'll have tribulation. You'll have trouble. But in the rest of that verse, Jesus proclaims, Take heart. I have overcome the world. Notice he doesn't say, I will overcome the world. He says, I have overcome the world. It's already done. And we can enjoy his overcoming here and now. We get to enjoy eternity now. And remember, for the believer, eternity is going to be good. Eternity is breaking in into the here and now. And we get to see what the world will be like when our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who dwells in inapproachable light, will once again dwell with us. We get to see, as Psalm 27 puts it, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We see it in every answered prayer. We see it in every blessing that God grants us. And we're able to give it whenever we serve others with love and compassion. But there's another side, the side of sin and death. If heaven worked backwards and turned sorrow into joy, hell steals every happiness, and turns it into pain. That's why we have to decide which side are we on now. If we're on the side of sin and death, our joy will turn to sorrow. But if we're on the side of life, if we're on God's side, then pain and sorrow will be turned and are turning into joy. So remember that God's side 
is the side that lasts. And remember, eternity matters now. But the third and final reason that Paul gives to remind us that the side of life, that God's side is the right side, is that eternity is reality. Now, we just heard that eternity matters now, and this life does matter. We can't forget that, but Paul calls eternal life, life that is truly life. Life that is real life. Life that is actually, genuinely life. Turning to C.S. Lewis again, when we reach eternity, the dream is ended, and this is the morning. This world is just a shadowland of the world to come. In some ways, I think our world actually does understand this principle. We have a lot of movies that talk about it this way, movies like The Matrix, that say there are people that are trapped in a life that isn't quite real. Star Trek episodes with people who have lost themselves in a holodeck only to find out at the end that a life that they lived wasn't true life. Inception that says it's all just a dream. Maybe you've sung to your child, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Again, our lives matter, but this life is just a prologue to the life to come. The adventures are just starting when we arrive in eternity. And remember, for the believer, eternity is going to be good. When I was in Bible college, we often talked about the Bible college bubble. The idea was that there's a metaphorical bubble around the college that made life inside of the bubble a little bit different than the life outside of the bubble. Church camp can be the same way. When I did weeks of camp, we talked to our campers a lot about how it might be easy to live out a Christian life inside that camp bubble, but that they would have to go home and face the real world, and it would be harder then. But verses like this remind us that maybe that's a little bit backwards. That Bible college bubble, that was a glimpse of eternity, of what was real, what was genuine, what is true. A week at church camp, that's what's real. That's what is actual. That's what's reality. And each week as we gather in this place, we spend a couple of hours in a bubble. But the bubble is not the real world out there in a nice, pleasant church world here. Eternity is taking over in here. The blessed and only sovereign, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in charge here. And the world out there is not going to last It's going to fade away out there. But here in this place, we have a glimpse of eternity now. And this is the genuine life, the real life, the actual life, and life in abundance now. It's a good life now because it's our experience of eternity now. And what does Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 say? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If we want to think about whatever is good, whatever is true, we ought to think of eternity. Remember, for the believer, eternity is going to be good. It's going to be good because it's going to be real. It's going to be genuine. And not only that, but real, genuine life with our Lord living among us. It will be the good life. And how long will eternity last? How long will the good life last? I like the picture from the show Doctor Who. I'm admitting I'm a bit of a nerd here, but maybe you've seen it. There's a mountain of pure diamond. 
It takes an hour to climb it, an hour to go around it, and every hundred years, a little bird comes. It sharpens its beak on the diamond mountain. And when the entire mountain is chiseled away, the first second of eternity will have passed. Or maybe you prefer Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge, when he preached, and that's my king. He says, we tried to get prestige and glory and honor for ourselves, but the glory is all his. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And how long is that? And ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. And when you get through with all the evers, then amen. And I like that answer, but let me be clear, the evers never end. They never, ever end. There's a battle going on. So the question is, which side are you on? And if you haven't picked a side yet, I urge you, I beg you, choose life. Choose Jesus Christ. Choose eternity. Choose the side of the sovereign Lord who gave his life so that you could have life, have eternal life, have the life that is really life. And once you've chosen that, fight the good fight. Make the good confession. Build a good foundation and live that good life that is really life. Live it now while you wait for eternity. And remember, eternity is going to be good. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we praise you. God, before time, we praise you because you are with us. We praise you because we can trust you. We praise you for creating the heaven, that glorious city that awaits us, and we praise you for letting us see glimpses of it even now. We ask that in your mercy and your grace that you give us the ability to choose the life of eternity each and every day, knowing that the life that you have to offer is true, abundant, real, and good because of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen.